Last week, we, uh, we examined how Scripture often uses the metaphor of a shepherd watching over sheep to describe how God cares for his people. God described himself as a shepherd in the Older Testament, and Jesus described himself as the good shepherd in the Newer Testament. And before ascending uh, to his throne in heaven, Jesus used a shepherding metaphor uh, when, he, when he was sitting with Peter uh, and, and all of the disciples, really, and, and he said that the shepherding is how he wanted his church to be viewed. And we learned that the role of the shepherd is to know and be known by the sheep, uh, to feed the sheep, to lead the sheep, and to protect the sheep. Uh, to sum up the first part of the series, all we like sheep have gone astray and we need to be shepherded. And the church, which is the way of Jesus, is where we find Jesus' shepherds. And so if you missed the first part, I, I would recommend you go listen to it. it. We have it on our audio podcast. I think we have the video on our YouTube channel. But in this second part of, of the series, we're going to ask ourselves this question. Who are the shepherds in the church? Who are the people that God has placed in our lives to know, feed, lead, and protect us? Now, we, we live in an age of um, information and kind of virtual connection. And I'll be the first to say that, uh, that this can be a real blessing. Right now, my wife and I, we are uh, remodeling our kitchen. We've been remodeling our kitchen for about three years. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. Um, we are building every cabinet from scratch. And, uh, and we've never done anything like this before. And so we're being mentored by a man who lives in Portland whom we have never met personally, nor have we interacted with beyond the comment section on his YouTube channel. But we talk about him like he's an old friend. When we're trying to figure something out, so we're like, what would Jason Hibbs do? Let's see if he's posted anything about it. And he has quite literally settled arguments between us. And I'll tell you this, this is, I'll just say this because I'm excited about it. We had a guy out who's measuring for putting in countertops and he goes, man, I've seen a lot of homeowner-built cabinets in my day, but these are exceptionally good. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. Jason Hibbs is not a shepherd in my life. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my wife. He doesn't let us know him. If I ever meet him, I'll thank him profusely for sharing his expertise with the world on the internet. But we are not in relationship with one another. And I think that our ability to obtain information and to be kind of pseudo connected to people anywhere in the world, I think that's confusing us to some degree about what it means to be in real relationship with people. And I think when we couple that with kind of all of the negative information that's out there about how awful the church is, I think that we have this temptation to kind of pull away. Like maybe we listen to a kind of one-sided, dramatized podcast about the rise and fall of a particular church and its imperfect pastor, 
and I think we're ready to just throw out the whole concept of church, it suddenly seems dangerous and vulnerable to be committed to a local church. And we tell ourselves, well, I can be in relationship with, with anyone in the world. And so we, we give a voice to people who are increasingly distant from us. People that we have maybe never met. People who do not truly know us and who do not truly let us know them. And we tell ourselves, we think we can get fed truth from podcasts or online sermon archives or TED Talks or books or shows or Instagram Reels or TikToks. Our thought is that the experience of church online is, is just the same as being at church in person. And so the people that we are looking up to and that we are choosing to emulate, they're often complete strangers are we really going to let those people lead and protect us? Now, I want to say, like, all of these ways uh, of getting knowledge and connecting, they, they are not inherently bad. But they are a way that is significantly different from the kind of life-on-life discipleship that Jesus modeled for us, that the early church modeled for us in Scripture All of these things can be blessings in our lives, but if they become a replacement for the way of Jesus, then I think we get into dangerous territory. Remember that verse that we discussed last week? It was Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it is a way unto death. With that idea in mind, I think, Well, we want to be the kind of church who follows the way of Jesus. And so today, I want to look at three kinds of shepherds that we see in Scripture and that we should be able to find in a healthy church and that I I believe you're able to find here at New City. And then I want to take a moment and just consider how well are we connecting with these shepherds. So the first one is Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. Ultimately, Jesus is the head of his church, and he is its shepherd. Last week, we looked at Ezekiel 34, where God said, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And then we read Jesus' own words in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then Jesus promised us, he made a promise to us, in the, in the Great Commission, this is the moment when he sent out the apostles, like, go, go and build my church. This is the promise that Jesus gave us, Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the book of church order, you know it's going to be an exciting sermon when I <laughs> quote the book of church order. But you're going to love this. It's beautiful. The book of church order, the book of church order, it's kind of like the bylaws of our denomination. It's a part of our constitution as a church. Um, and uh, it says this. This is like one of the very first things that it says. Jesus, the mediator, the sole priest, prophet, king, savior, and head of the church contains in himself by way of eminency all the offices in his church. 
and has many of their names attributed to him in the scriptures. He is apostle, teacher, pastor, minister, bishop, and the only lawgiver in Zion. And then it goes on to say this, since the ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven, he is present with the church by his word and spirit, and the benefits of his offices are effectually applied by the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing that our church seeks to see Jesus as the head? Because Jesus is not absent from his church. And ultimately, all authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus. And he has established a church. And it is through his authority that we exist and that we minister in his holy name. Our early church fathers, such as Paul, understood this. In Ephesians 1, verse 22, Paul says, he put all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what does it mean that Jesus is the head of his church? Like, what does that look like? How does that how does that work since he's God and he's in heaven? Well, well, the first thing is that Jesus exercises his authority through his word. He placed the Bible in the hands of the church through his disciples. We, we know from the Bible what Jesus says that we should believe and how he says that we should live. This is not a document that was man-made or put together by men. It came together through the operation of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And we can rely on it. Jesus is the head of his church and he empowers through his Holy Spirit. When we become believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and it indwells us. He lives within us. And it is through his spirit that we abide in Jesus and it is through his spirit that we find the power to walk in the way of Jesus. Jesus spoke about this in John 15, 5. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in Galatians 5, right before Paul talks about that fruit, right before he gives a description of 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 what fruit of the Spirit look like. This is what Paul says. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jesus, through his word and his Spirit, is the head of our church. So where are you in relationship to the church today? The the church with a capital C. In, In recent days, We've seen a lot of corruption and issues of great concern that have been highlighted within the church around the country and around the world. And I think it's easy to become disillusioned and maybe even anxious about it. You know, a couple of months ago, I went to the General Assembly of our denomination, uh, the PCA, Uh, it it was kind of an eye-opening experience, there were 4,900 Uh, pastors from all around uh, North America coming together to do the business of the church, and um, we didn't agree on everything. (laughs) 
In fact, there was a lot of strong debate on a number of issues. A few of the votes didn't go the way that I kind of wanted them to. Some of them did, some of them didn't. And, and the reality is that there were times when I was frustrated and there were times when I was annoyed and there were times when I was anxious. But when I look back and I think about it, I, I think ultimately I found the whole event to be somewhat edifying. To see men of God coming from, from all over our country and North America and addressing the, the concerns of the church in a respectful and reasoned manner. When I arrived, because it was my first time going to General Assembly, I attended a seminar that was led by Dr. Brian Chapel, and it was just for newbies, for people who, who hadn't gone before. And, and he outlined kind of the process, how General Assembly works, and, and how the denomination is structured, and he gave us uh, a really good education. At the end, someone raised their hand, and they asked him this question. They said, don't you feel like this whole process is deeply flawed? <laughs> His response was so helpful to me. I thought about it often during that week in those moments of frustration. I've thought about it often since. He said this, the PCA is a mess, but it's the best mess around. I share this with you not to kind of brag on the PCA or anything like that, but because the reality is that our church, the capital C church, is made up of people. And we are all deeply flawed, and we all make mistakes. And yet, Jesus' plan for his church was that he was going to go away for a while and leave it in the hands of imperfect people. But don't forget his promise. I am with you always. The PCA and many other denominations, they continue to keep Jesus as the head of the church. We will not be perfect, but we can rely upon Jesus to shepherd and protect his church. So, are you keeping your eyes on the true head of the church, or are you allowing yourself to be disillusioned by the imperfections of the church herself? Are you taking comfort in the perfect presence of Jesus and his Holy Spirit, or are you living in the despair that inevitably comes when we put our faith in humankind? I want to encourage you not to reject the church because if you do, you're rejecting the head of the church, which is Jesus. And don't do that because of the failures of his people. All we like sheep have gone astray. Romans tells us that all people have fallen short of the glory of God. It's for this very reason that Jesus came and established his church. Because we were estranged from God. Jesus came and lived a perfect life that we could not live and he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. And because of his obedience, we have been reconciled to God. But not only that, not only that, as if that wouldn't be enough, but he has adopted us into his family, his family which is 
the church. Yes, the church is imperfect because we are all imperfect. But Jesus died for this so that we would have the opportunity to be a part of it, to be a part of his church. I think it's important that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus to abide in him and his Holy Spirit as we move on to consider the the kind of third way that Jesus acts as the head of his church. And that is that Jesus calls, ordains, and equips leaders. See, through his Holy Spirit, Jesus has gifted some people to serve as leaders in his church. And that, that leads us to our next point, which is that officers are shepherds. Now, there are certain kinds of gifted church leaders that we see in Scripture, and and we find a list of them in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 16. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now some people with these kinds of gifts will be called into a special service within the church through ordained office. And in scripture we see only two offices for the church, elder and deacon. When we read the book of Acts, we see how elders and deacons serve the church through meeting the spiritual and physical needs of the people. In the very early days of the church, Acts 6, 1 through 4. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so their church, this newly planted church, is growing. It's getting big. And a complaint by the Hellenists rose. The the Hellenists are just the Christians who, who are not Jewish, Uh, it arose against the Hebrews, which were the Christians who who were Jewish, um, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They were just having a dispute about how they were caring for the widows. And the 12, these are the 12 apostles. They're kind of like the first session of the church, the first board of elders, you could say. They summoned the full number of the disciples. They gathered all of them. This was a congregational meeting. This was as much of the church as they could get together. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So these these 12 apostles are beginning to feel kind of the strain of church leadership as their church is growing, and so they began to differentiate between two kinds of ordained leaders, elders who focused on preaching and prayer and the word, and deacons who focused on mercy 
and meeting the physical needs of the body. And together, they shepherded the church in kind of a holistic way. The elders fed the sheep with the word, and the deacons fed the sheep with food. Both used the spirit and the wisdom of the word to lead and protect, and both knew and were known by the people. Now, at New City, we have nine elders, and we have six deacons. These are men who were nominated for office by the covenant partners of this church and then vetted through a six-months-long process to ensure that they meet the qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And then they were recommended to and elected by the covenant partners in a congregational meeting. The exception is Ryan and I. We, we went to seminary and then we were vetted through a much more stringent process at Presbytery. The elders and deacons of this church, these men were not chosen because they're Ryan's friends. These men were not chosen because we knew that they would promote a particular agenda or vision for our church. They were chosen because many of you had seen them using their gifts to shepherd others within the body. And at least three of you thought highly enough of them to nominate them. They are elders and deacons because you saw them as elders and deacons. Now, the elders are the church leaders who, like Peter and the apostles, were given the, uh, what Jesus called the key, keys to the kingdom. That's a whole sermon by itself, but what keys of the kingdom essentially is is just this authority of church leadership. And the way, it, the way of Jesus is that we would be in submission to church leaders. So we have, uh, we have verses like Hebrews 13, 17, which says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And in 1 Peter 5, Peter writes this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus comes back, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger should be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to ask all of our deacons and elders that are in the room right now, if you would please stand. And if you are a teaching elder uh, through some part of our denomination, would you stand as well? There's only going to be a few of them because honestly, our elders and deacons, we often uh, serve. <laughs> so some are in the back and some will be coming next service. But look, just take a look at these men. These are the people who are keeping watch over your souls as if they will have to give an account to God one day. And church, we take this seriously. We take this very seriously. We, and this is no small responsibility. 
So you guys can sit down now. I'd like to ask you to pray for us. Not just today, but regularly. On our website, you can find a list of of all the elders and deacons of New City. Would you take that list and make it a regular part of your intercession with God? When you see these men uh, going about the business of the church on Sunday morning or throughout the week, would you, would you stop and encourage them? There is one more kind of shepherd that uh, I want to talk about uh, today. And these are the men and women of the body who are not ordained, but they are nonetheless gifted in the pastoral way. And our third point is that sh- Saints can be shepherds. Now, we've already established that elders are shepherds. However, I think that sometimes where we get confused is that we think that only elders are shepherds or that the elders have the title of shepherd. Well, I I looked it up this week. According to the book of church order, the titles of elder are these. Bishop, pastor, presbyter, elder, teacher, ambassador, evangelist, preacher, and steward. Shepherd is a good description of what an elder does, but it is not one of their formal titles. Because shepherd is also a good description of what a deacon does. And it's also a good description of what those saints in the body who have the pastoral gifts do. Now, when I say saints, what I mean is believers. When, whenever you see the word saints in Scripture, what it means is anyone who believes in Jesus. We're referred to as the saints of the body. We don't want to get hung up on a false notion that only shepherds can, I mean, that only elders can serve as shepherds within the body. When we do that, we will wind up with only a very few men trying to do all of the work of the kingdom, and that won't last long. Let's look at Ephesians 4 again in in verse 11 and 12. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not to do all the work of the ministry themselves, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. The gifted leaders of the church are not told to do all the work themselves. They are charged with the task of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So what is the work of ministry that Paul is writing of? Well, it's the work of the apostles, which is planting churches. It's the work of the prophets, which is interpreting the word. It's the work of the evangelists, sharing the gospel. It's the work of the teachers, expounding on the word, and the work of the shepherds, caring for the flock. Second Timothy, Paul outlines the work of ministry in another way. He, he gives this instruction to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is shepherding work. It is the work of the elders and deacons, but Scripture teaches us that it is also, that this work also belongs to the saints who are charged with building up the body of Christ. And ordained leaders are charged with equipping them to do it. 
Now, we have to be careful because not every saint will be gifted in this way. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 tells us that God apportions the spiritual gifts to each one individually as he wills. He decides who gets what gifts and to what degree. Romans 12 tells us that we all have differing gifts. Romans 12, 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Right? Our ear does not do the same thing as our foot. So, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We're all a part of the same body. We're all on the same mission. We're all in this together. We're all relying on one another, but we all have differing roles. In Titus, the elders are instructed to teach this. Titus 2, 1 through 6, it says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So, so what do we see here? We see that different people, right? Differing people with various ages in various stages of different genders and with different giftings. They're all going to have differing gifts and roles. And the ordained officers are charged with seeing that all, this variety of people are equipped for whatever ministry that they're gifted in and called to. Again, elders and deacons will shepherd people, but we would be remiss if we did so without bringing alongside non-ordained people who are gifted and called in the same way. We discussed last week that Jesus' way is a church. He, he never intended for his followers to simply follow him apart from the family of God. And within the church, Jesus' way is what we sometimes refer to as a priesthood of all believers. This doesn't mean that we get rid of church leadership. What it means is that we're all called to the same purpose, layperson and ordained ministers alike, because God did not intend to put the entire burden of shepherding his people on the shoulders of just a few called men. Yet we see time and time again that in churches, the full weight of shepherding falls on the pastor's. And in Presbyterian churches, it might be a little bit better, but it still, it falls on a small group of ordained elders, deacons, maybe the staff and the pastors. And this is because we so often are neglecting this command for those in ordained leadership to be equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, at New City, I want to say this. I think that we're very fortunate. Our structure of of living as the family of God together positions us for shepherding care to occur through natural relationships. As we meet in our missional communities and in discipleship groups and as we serve alongside one another and in the one-on-one relationships that develop because of all of that. We're blessed to have many women and men in our body who have shepherding gifts and they have a maturity with which they can use them well. And I would say that in general, our pastors and elders and deacons and staff 
are not overly burdened. Not yet. We're growing. And this is why Kelly Ship, who's on staff with me, Kelly Ship and I, we have been considering this matter of shepherding care at New City Church over the past few years. And as we've been growing, we've recognized that there, that there is more and more of a disconnect between what is kind of happening organically and what our elders are aware of. And, and I think that this is particularly true uh, when it comes to women connecting with the church. While men were shepherding gifts, they might be quickly identified as potential elders or deacons. We don't really have any kind of a process for identifying and equipping women with these same gifts. And, and frankly, we only nominate elders and deacons every couple of years or so. So this results in, in gifted men not being equipped uh, as well. So over the past year, Kelly and I, we've been developing a ministry and we're, you know, we're calling it shepherding care. This has involved getting connected with our parent church, which is Perimeter Church in Johns Creek. They're a few years ahead of us in this process. They, they have a thriving shepherding care ministry. Uh, they were so gracious to us. They put Kelly through their extensive training program. They have shared all of their resources with us. Uh, Kelly discovered that um, uh, we have a program in our denomination through the Committee on Discipleship Ministries. Uh, they have a whole bunch of resources about uh, shepherding care in the church, especially in how to uh, have women be a part of that. And so Kelly and I, uh, over the last year or so, we identified several women and a couple of men who seemed qualified for this kind of ministry. And over the summer, we gave them some theological training. And starting last Monday, uh, we began a shepherding care training that will continue for the next several months. We want to take our time with this equipping of the saints. It's our hope that by springtime next year, we will be introducing you all to a fully trained and vetted shepherding care team. The vision and purpose of this team is to, is to serve as a bridge between people, maybe especially women, but all people, and their church. These shepherds will create safe spaces where women can reach out for wisdom and care. The team will support the elders and the deacons as they interact with individual women or couples. And they'll work alongside ordained leadership and the staff, but they'll always be under the oversight of our session and our pastoral staff. It's our prayer that as we embrace this calling, this command to equip the saints as shepherds, that we will be better able to tend to a growing flock in a biblical way. Church, I, I hope that as you hear this message today that, that you feel encouraged about New City Church and where we are in shepherding care because we have been blessed with many shepherds in our body. You may have noticed though that throughout uh, last week and this week, our teaching on shepherding care, we, it keeps coming back to this same idea from scripture and urging that we submit ourselves to those that God has placed over us. 
This means humbling ourselves and, and asking for help when it's needed, whether that's a physical need or a spiritual one. I, I know what it's like to need help and not want to impose. Submitting to the shepherding care of the church, submitting to the care of your leaders, sometimes that means humbling yourself and asking for help. It means being in relationship with safe people in a genuine and vulnerable way. Finding who those shepherd people are in your life that God has placed in your life and being willing to share with them the hard things. It means uh, being forgiving and a voice for peace and unity even when the church church and its shepherds are not perfect. And most importantly, this means submitting to the way of Jesus. It means abiding in him, walking in his spirit, and being a part of his church, which is where we find the shepherds. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.